Welcome into the Esports Network podcast, where we discuss everything and anything esports related within the realm of uh, you know the esports industry, whether that's players, coaches, executives, business leaders, whoever we can get our hands on. We usually try to talk to them and give us their perspective, their experience within the esports space. Here to help us do that today is the CEO of Enthusiast Gaming himself, Adrian Montgomery. Adrian, thank you for taking time out of your extremely busy uh, day. Uh, I-, I can't explain to you how awesome. Awesome to have you on the show and talk to us today. I'm I'm delighted to be here, and if you want to spend a little more time telling me just how awesome it is to have me on, I, I'm, I'm all ears. Hey, I used to work in radio, and that was the main thing: is gas up your guests. Just make sure every guest knows that they are loved, You're a pro. that they're You're loved, a pro. and then that make sure that everybody is is aware that uh, we, we appreciate the time. Because I know you, CEO of, a, of one of the largest esports uh, organizations in North America, that's a, probably a hefty pal you got today, tomorrow, the the, the week, the month. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day. Uh, it's great to be with you, Kevin. So, like I said, CEO of uh, Enthusiast Gaming, you've been the senior officer and director of several public and private companies in your past, uh, you know, fields of media, sports entertainment, finance, industrial services. Uh, most recently, you served as, as president of Canucks Sports Entertainment. Uh, I mean, that's one of the largest, you know, entertainment uh, companies in, in Canada. You merged Enthusiast later on. Uh, I mean, it's just a, a, an ex- like an exuberant uh, resume from you. And so it's, 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 uh, not exactly the way a lot of careers go. You know, we're going to work in sports entertainment. We're going to end up in the, you know, the esports space. How did that kind of move work out for you? Well, we, in my last job, as you say, we, among, uh, other things, owning an NHL team, uh, owning restaurants, professional, other professional sports teams, wineries, etc. We also uh, owned a 20,000 seat arena in downtown Vancouver and one of the busiest live entertainment venues in North America. And we had an opportunity uh, in late August of 2018 to host the Dota 2 International. And you know, admittedly at the time we, we were just looking to put one more live event in our building before hockey season started. Um, but we're completely and utterly blown away by what we witnessed firsthand, the, the passion, the engagement, the lineups, uh, we couldn't get into our offices because, you know, the doors were, were blocked by hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. We set noise records and sales records and um, literally came to the conclusion that, that this was the future, uh, being esports and gaming, and, and then plunged headlong into it, and the rest is history. And so moving into that that realm, that, that's a new, new space for you, really, but it's kind of the same old, same old. It's still entertainment. It's still somewhat related to the you know, competition. So was this move kind of more of a logical evolution for you from a finance and sports and entertainment perspective? There was nothing logical about it, <laughs> but, um, but it, 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 it was so eye-popping. And literally, I had a bit of an out-of-body experience being um, on the floor of the arena watching the finals of Dota 2 and just became more convinced than I ever had been in my career um, that gaming was the future. Um, and, and literally, you know, despite not knowing a whole lot about it, 
um, decided to stake my my career on it. So you accept the position over, I think, over two years ago at this point, right? And so you you, you step into the shoes of CEO at, at Enthusiast Gaming. How exactly did that conversation go? I, I, I mean, like, did you say, you know, oh, we're, we're merging with this with this gaming company? Um, I, I guess I should take over the CEO spot. I don't know, you know. <laughs> What happened was when when we when I had that realization and the Aquilini family who owned the Vancouver Canucks had that realization that esports was something we wanted to get into. Um, they're a great entrepreneurial family, and they move as great entrepreneurs do with blinding speed. And so, a month after hosting the international, um, we were in the offices of, of Activision. Uh, purchasing an Overwatch team for the Pacific Northwest. And literally, we bought the team, flew back to Vancouver, and then we realized that we had no one in the organization who knew anything about fielding an esports team. And then we started buying esports companies like Luminosity Gaming. We bought, uh, of course, the Overwatch team, then the Call of Duty team. And then there was a, a Canadian company called Enthusiast Gaming, and we ended up merging with them. We were, you know, a small holding company called Aquilini Game Co. We ended up merging with, with Enthusiast Gaming. And as part of that merger, the decision was taken on both sides that, that I would be the CEO of the combined company. Um, and that's really how it organically came to be. And so, obviously, they bring on a seasoned veteran like yourself to come on and kind of take the reins in terms of what direction, you know, this new kind of new age company goes. And so, how is your your past experience, right? I've already mentioned it, finance, entertainment industries. How has that kind of helped you shape the way you view things, uh, you know, like audience marketing and, and how to, you know, in live events, activations? How does uh, that kind of come into play when you're taking over the reins of an esports organization? Well, one of the things about an emerging industry like esports um, that I found at the beginning, and I still find a little bit to this day, is um, people tend to overcomplicate new industries. Um, a lot of hardened esports veterans uh, honestly believe that they're splitting the atom. Um, and, and in reality, yes, there is, you know, a new way of doing things and a new industry called esports. But the principles that underpin media and entertainment are all the same. And, and at the end of the day, what I what I was passionate about from the very beginning was that a lot most successful sports franchises look at the world and say, how can I build the biggest fan base that I possibly can? How can I engage that fan base as much as I can? And then from a business perspective, how can I migrate that fan base to a customer base? And that is literally the, the premise that we always had with Luminosity and with Enthusiast, because the one thing Enthusiast has and the reason why we merged with them is they have this incredible distribution platform, websites, YouTube channels, et cetera, et cetera, that have a real audience. And we looked at the esports assets of Luminosity and the Vancouver Titans and the Seattle Surge, and we said, man, that's content. That is content 
that can increase the bond that we have with this fabulous audience over here on the enthusiast side. And so again, what we're doing is the same thing that old dinosaur companies like Comcast do and Disney does and uh, Rupert Murdoch and the News Corporation people do. And they take content and they put it with distribution and they take advantage of the synergies. It's just, you know, the same old formula from the old kind of industry moving into the new one, right? There's really, there's small differences, but really when you look at it, there's really almost no differences, right? Um, yes, I, I would agree with that. And I, and I think that if there's any advice to give anyone, it, it's, it's, you know, business and life are never as complicated as, as you sometimes make them out to be. The biggest difference between traditional sports and esports, there's there's two big differences that, when you say them out loud, sound really simple, um, but there's they have such a large impact uh, on what we do every day. The, the first thing is, you know, we owned an NHL team. Um, there's no one uh, on earth who owns the sport of hockey. There's no one on this earth who owns the sport of basketball, but. When when we go to bed at night, we know that someone owns Overwatch and someone owns Call of Duty. And there's another big player in esports, which is the publisher who actually owns the intellectual property. That's that's a huge difference between esports and traditional sports. Secondly, what we don't have in esports is we don't have this mammoth source of revenue that comes from linear television that underpins every North American sports league, like the NFL, the NBA, MLB, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have that uh, traditional television revenue that comes with owning your geography and knowing as the Los Angeles Dodgers or the New York Yankees that no one can come into your world uh, in, in, in the New York area, you own it, you monetize it. We don't have that. Esports is, you know, as you can appreciate, borderless in many ways. Um, and so those are some, so, some differences that, that make the business model um, a lot more complicated. Right. And so you've already mentioned that you've kind of taken your, you know, the distribution asset of it from Enthusiast Gaming and combined it with content. And, you know, just recently, you guys have already made those major steps these past few months. You've launched Upcomer, uh, the, the new esports journalism site out there, you know, seasoned writers aqu- across the board. Uh, what led Enthusiast to kind of look at that esports journalism, uh, you know, like little, little niche and figure out that we need to get into that space and we need to do it with, with the plum. You guys brought on a bunch of seasoned writers, people that I know that I'm friends with that, uh, they were extremely enthusiastic for, for joining Upcomer. But, uh, for a gaming news site to be the new, I guess, distribution platform for content for you guys, uh, what was that step like? Well, if you boil enthusiast gaming down to one basic element, we are about building communities for gamers and esports fans. And so when when people ask us, you know, you own Upcomer or you own the Sims resource and you also own the Seattle Surge and you also have a relationship and XQC plays for Luminosity, what how does how does that all make sense to you? Well, it's very simple for us. The people that watch XQC stream every night are a community. The people 
that follow the Seattle surge are a community. The people that go to Upcomer are a community. We're community builders, um, and we saw um, an opportunity to build a community around Upcomer uh, to bring quality journalism together with stats, together uh, with fantasy components, and really serve another vibrant community uh, in, in the gaming fan world. So for us, Upcomer is another community, and we want to build and aggregate as many communities as we can. And so to reach those communities, you have to kind of develop that content first. And, and really the, the newest content king are these new, you know, the influ- quote unquote new influencer and content creator culture that's been built around, you know, individual personalities that's kind of surrounded itself in, in gaming. And how has enthusiast gaming taken advantage of that? I know you mentioned XQC playing for Luminosity, but are there any other, you know, assets you guys have looked into to kind of tap into that, you know, that influencer personality? Well, you, you, you've hit the nail on the head and, and that, you know, from if we go back to the business conversation, the fastest growing and I believe soon to be dominant form of marketing spending in the world will be influencer marketing. The people um, that have fan bases on social media can really move the needle um, when they advocate products and services. And we have a saying around here that, you know, jokes aside, there's a reason why Kim Kardashian and, and Jenner are billionaires. It's because when they promote products and services, those products and services sell. They have a tremendous amount of influence over their followers. And so the, what we're encouraged by an enthusiast is that the biggest social media influencers right now are becoming gamers. Five of the top 10 YouTube personalities in the world are gamers. Um, And so for us, when we purchase, so we have Luminosity, we have a relationship with content creators um, under the banner of Luminosity, but we also purchased a multi-channel network, the largest gaming network on YouTube called Omnia. And so now that we own Omnia, we have a relationship over and above uh, Luminosity um, through the MCN with, you know, almost 600 influencers and content creators. And we're always um, looking to innovate with them. And so obviously you're coming from a different space, uh, you know, not really, in, I wouldn't say invested in the esports, you know, kind of industry until you kind of knew about and, and studied up on it and became the CEO of Enthusiast Gaming. But when you're coming from the sports and entertainment realm into this realm, uh, how quickly do things change? Like obviously the influencer thing kind of came out within the last few years and then, you know, the, the new social media platforms out there kind of coming out. I mean, how, how crazy hard is it to keep on top of all this stuff? Uh, you know, while you're trying to market to different different audiences? Well, it is hard. And media in general, uh, it, you know, the sands are shifting under everyone's feet uh, all day long and the business models are changing. And man, oh man, do I wish I was born uh, 25 years earlier and I was <laughs> selling advertising uh, for a newspaper when the only way you could uh, you could sell your used Honda Accord was through the classified ads, um, that was easy. <laughs> it's not easy so much today because so much is changing so quickly. But the secret sauce at Enthusiast is that we have 
people in our company um, that are so obsessed about all things gaming that when they finish their, their work day at Enthusiast, they go to Twitch, they go to YouTube, um, they're messaging each other on Discord saying, did you see what Disguise Toast did? We should add so-and-so to the MCN. Look at look at so-and-so's blowing up on Twitch. So-and-so's coming down. And so we just live and breathe it each and every day. Um, and that helps us stay ahead. We're, we're hungry, but at the end of the day, we're just obsessed with gaming. We had, uh, it was my birthday last week, and uh, the management team had a, a bit of a party for me, which is totally <laughs> legal, I think, uh, COVID restriction. And, there were, and, and we decided that, you know, we were going to talk about anything except business, anything except gaming. And we got about two minutes in. <laughs> and then it had nothing else to say. So we started talking business and it was a six hour night. So, um, you know, we just we just live and breathe it each each and every minute of the day. Well, happy, happy belated, belated birthday for me to you. I'm, you. Uh, you look 27 years young. No, not, not a not a day is aged in your your, your, <laughs> your side of the world. God bless you. <laughs> I try to, like I said, we try to gas you up on the show, you know, but yeah, and, and, and it's working, by the way, it's working. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard here. <laughs> Look, uh, I've, I've spoken to a few people at Enthusiast Gaming, and I, I've asked them kind of like, what is the the kind of the magnum opus of Enthusiast Gaming? And a lot of them came back and said, the Enthusiast Gaming Live Expo. You know, the largest, one of the largest North American gaming conventions. Um, I know October this past year was a, was a digital experience, but I know you had your first one uh, 2019, I believe, and you kind of got to experience that. I know the difficulties from the pandemic. How did they kind of affect the planning uh, around Enthusiast Gaming, uh, the Live Expo, and, and just how kind of nutty was that whole experience of, of working digitally through a pandemic? Well, again, um, EGLX is another example of we look at those people that that buy tickets and that come to the EGLX Expo 35,000 in 2019. We look at we stand up on the escalator and we look at the full convention floor and, and that's a community as well. And ultimately, um, you know, having those shared live experiences is is irreplaceable um and it was frustrating um for us not to be able um to host our live events we also run uh, the pocket gamer series of events we have the largest mobile gaming uh, event in europe and we host events all over the world and again frustrating that we couldn't do it live and in person um, but i'm really proud um, of our team who, who, who innovate, we, we migrated EGLX to, to a digital format. And I'll tell you a really cool story. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, started filling out the programming slate for, for EG, virtual EGLX. We created this concept called Gamer's Greatest Talent, which was a reality show uh, where gamers could showcase a non-gaming talent. It went really, really well. Fast forward a couple months, the sales team came and said, TikTok wants to be the presenting sponsor for Gamers, Gamers Greatest Talent. Then Elf Cosmetics came in. Then we launched Gamers Greatest Talent about a month ago on TikTok. And the hashtag GGT got 11.8 billion impressions. Wow. Now we have a bona fide tentpole franchise on our hands. We broadcast every night live on Twitch. 
Um, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of people tune in. We're on episode five. We're taking our luminosity stars like Muselk and Anomaly and Tori Perino. They're the judges. And we're just integrating the whole thing into a, into a winning concept. And, you know, I would say, being totally honest with you, that I don't know if Gamer's Greatest Talent would have been born uh, without the necessity of inventing cool things to make a physical convention virtual. So uh, really proud of our team for that and, and really think we have an incredible concept to continue to build. I mean, I, I love it. That's, that's insane. 11.8 billion. Oh, that's an insane number to even think about. But uh, it, it's it's completely insane. It went viral. Um, but it just shows you that that hunger that people have uh, for gaming content. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And so um, any I'm going to I'm, I'm probably going to go on a limb here. You feel free to not answer this at all and just say no comment. But any plans on EGLX being uh, a live event this year? Or is that still kind of like in the works? I know COVID restrictions are kind of fluctuating where we're at right now. So I'm just going to I'm going to try to ask and see if I can get an answer. <laughs> well, the answer is simple. If I'm allowed to do it uh, and I have enough time to plan for it, um, then we'll do it. Um, it's that simple. If the governments tell me, you know, three days before EGLX, we're allowed to have EGLX, that won't be enough time to plan for it. We, again, we're, we're committed to a high standard of delivering incredible community experiences through our events. So if there's enough runway um, right now, my understanding in Ontario, which is a province of Canada, is that live events are, are not uh, uh, are banned until labor day right or something like that so um i don't know if we can do it but you have my word that if if there's enough runway and we're allowed we'll, we'll get back to live events for sure sounds promising to me so obviously but the pandemic didn't just affect eglx it also kind of affected how you marketed enthusiasts to potential investors sponsors did the pandemic kind of uh, affect that at all in a, in a negative way or was it mostly just kind of like readjusting and kind of having to adapt yourself to a new a new normal let's say right well two incredible things happened for our entire industry because of the pandemic um the first thing and the most important thing was if i was to wind back the clock uh, 15 months ago, 18 months ago, and I would go to New York to talk to investors or I would go to a company like Procter & Gamble or Kellogg's. I'd have a lot of great meetings, but I would say four in every 10 meetings would be some middle-aged investor or some middle-aged executive saying, it sounds interesting, but I just don't believe that people would watch other people play video games. Um, then all of a sudden the pandemic happened and those middle-aged marketing executives couldn't get their children or their nieces and nephews out of their rooms. And so we infiltrated the world with focus groups in every house. So now, now when I talk to those same investors or I talk to those executives from Fortune 500 companies, I kind of have a bit of a swagger to my pitch. <laughs> and I basically say, listen, here's the pitch. And if you think I'm full of shit, 
go ask your kids. <laughs> and, and, and that's a mic drop now because of the pandemic. The second amazing thing that happened in the pandemic is that esports became a bona fide, legitimate betting property. Mm-hmm. Um, because there wasn't, you know, if betters, better, if there's one thing that holds betters together, is when there's nothing to bet on, they'll find something to bet on. They won't not bet. And so when you saw esports get legalized as a betting property in New Jersey and Nevada, and you saw a whole new level of attention paid to esports because it was filling a void um, when the traditional sports leagues were not playing. And, and there, there cannot, it cannot be understated the impact that betting has on growing the popularity of, of any sport. Um, you know, the NFL is the gold standard of traditional sports in North America. And you have to believe that one of the reasons be, is because of all the fantasy leagues, all the office pools that pull in uh, fans that might not otherwise care about the sport. And so, you know, those were the two massive positive impacts on COVID. It shone a light on this new industry. It had focus groups going on in every house. Um, and that will forever, uh, will forever be thankful. Man, I'm sure those executives are kind of kicking themselves in the head right now, aren't they? Missing out on a meeting <laughs> with you. And, and it's just like, well, <laughs> it looks like I, I got a goose egg on that one. But speaking of goose eggs, the Golden Goose for Enthusiast Gaming has, has really been your access to fans, access to an audience. 300 million monthly viewers across all platforms. I mean, that's that's your boon right there. Uh, just is that like is that the Golden Goose for Enthusiast Gaming, or is there something else you guys can bring besides you know obviously you guys bring content, but that that access to fans is really what a lot of outside companies look at. It's that, but it's also the engagement level of that audience. And so, yes, we have 300 million people a month. Um, Yes, we have 65 million in the US, which means, if you can believe it, that virtually one in every two American males between 18 and 34 comes to at least one enthusiast gaming property a month. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're almost all Gen Zs and millennials who are extremely hard to find uh, at scale. And so, but it's not just the 300 million, it's the fact that those 300 million people consume about four and a half billion views of content a month. And for us at Enthusiast Gaming, the biggest golden goose, if you can call it that, is the fact that if you asked me how much we spend to drive traffic to our properties, to retain traffic on on our properties, the answer is not a thin dime. Wow. And if you go to someone at Verizon and tell them you get 300 million people a month and you don't spend to get them, they won't believe you. If you go to someone at uh, Comcast and tell them that, they won't believe you. But it's the truth. We've built a business around communities for hardcore fans and provided we continue to engage with them and give them compelling content that gets them to come back again and again and again, um, that is our secret sauce. 
I, I love to hear it. It's 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 an awesome thing to kind of see you take advantage of this, and it, it's obviously helped you guys. That you're one of the largest North American esports properties, you know, in in, in the world, really, at this point. But for for now, I want to try and you know gauge the conversation towards, I guess, I guess the future of enthusiasts, if you will. So, you guys are already listed on the Nasdaq and and Toronto stock exchanges. Where do you go from there? Right? It, it, I mean, I'm not sure about dual listing on the New York Stock Exchange or, or moving into a different, you know, the European stock exchanges. What exactly is your plan moving into? You know, from a a, a regional, national kind of stock exchange to an international one. Well. I think we're set. There, there's no bigger stage for a company like Enthusiast than NASDAQ. It is, uh, it is at the top of the, the pyramid. It is the largest exchange with the broadest uh, access to capital. And so I don't think we need to necessarily take advantage of, of, of multiple listings. Um, you know, sometimes uh, the way it works with public companies is, you know, when we were just listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, you know, a lot of big investment funds would say to us, look, we're, we're fans of what you're building. We're fans of the vision, but, you know, we're not permitted to invest in uh, Canadian companies. And so let us know when you get to the NASDAQ. Let us know when you get to the NASDAQ. And so now that we've accomplished that, I think we're fine uh, for, for the, from a listing uh, perspective. So I'm really proud of, of, of us getting listed on NASDAQ. And by the way, mm-hmm. I, would, I would point out that we're on the top tier of NASDAQ. So nice. the same tier that Apple is on, uh, Enthusiast Gaming is on. So that, so that makes us uh, pretty proud. Yeah, hey, that's, that's, that's nothing to shake a stick at. You know, that's, that's pretty yeah. impressive right there. I'm not going to pretend to understand the, the intricacies of, of listing a public company and kind of putting them on, on stock exchanges. I'm not going to pretend I've got, I got my business degree on Google Foo or something like that. But for now, I'm just going to ask you, like, what exactly is that process of listing a public public company on a stock exchange you know how long does it take and what does it take to be listed on one uh, it, it's you, you're in good company if you're not an expert neither am i so <laughs> we're, we're in the same rowboat together but it is an exhaustive process it, it is a it's a it's a vetting procedure um tons of work goes into it and it can take a, a long time in our case uh getting to nasdaq took us almost a year um, so again, to qualify companies and audit them and all those sorts of things that you need to do to, to get on to the biggest stock exchange for tech companies in the world, as you can imagine, it, it's, uh, they don't, they don't just let anyone on there. And so, um, we had to, we had to go through a lot of hoops and it took a lot of time. Um, but you know, the, the benefits are, are significant. And so uh, I kind of want to ask uh, pretty much – I know you, you guys are really doing a lot of, um, I guess, audience marketing on you know social media platforms that you don't really own or anything like that. Has there ever been thought into kind of moving vertically, moving into your own kind of social media space where you, something you've built up where fans can go and engage? And is that something you've looked into like a, a, an enthusiast gaming like quote unquote Twitter or a Facebook or something, something similar to kind of fit into a different kind of niche? Yeah, that's definitely on our roadmap uh, to build that social platform. And to that end, we, we purchased a company um, a couple weeks ago called Tabwire, um, which has a number of uh, intellectual property and technology that will help us 
um, achieve that. But yeah, look, when you have uh, 300 million people, as you say, that come every month, it's, it's great to sell advertising. It's great to sell sponsorship. It's great to sell subscription. But the real, um, the real prize is to start linking those 300 million people together um, and giving them a reason to link together. And that's where we see a huge opportunity uh, in the marketplace. And a lot of times people come up with really great ideas to say, we're going to build a gaming platform. We're going to build a social media platform for gamers. And our technology is so great. And our management team is so great. And our ideas are so great um, that if you give us some money, uh, as investors, we're going to go and we're going to prove it to you by by getting an audience. Mm-hmm. And we already have that. <laughs> the hardest part to do is what we did. And again, you know, sounds a little uh, cocky to, to put ourselves in the same breath as Facebook and Twitter. But again, remember, Facebook went out and built an audience first and then started monetizing it. Twitter built an audience first. And I'm perhaps old enough to remember eight or nine years ago where lots of really smart people on Wall Street would chuckle and say, you can't build a business from a bunch of people sending 140 character tweets. You can't do it. And 10 years before that, uh, for Facebook, it was, yeah, okay, like a bunch of people want to share photos of their trip to the Grand Canyon. You can't build a business around that. (laughs) And now you fast forward 10 or 11 years and those same people that couldn't believe you could build businesses around Facebook and Twitter completely have no problem watching these executives get hauled in front of Congress for trying to subvert democracy. (laughs) It's like, what what happened there? But again, it, it, it all comes back to the integrity of the audience and building businesses around the audience. The audience is the hub. And if you have an engaged and, and, a, and a, um, you know, kind of a homogenous audience in the sense that for us, they're all young, they're all gamers, you can do lots of things with them. And so your, your idea about a gaming platform is something that is definitely on our roadmap. All right. Well, our time is winding down now, and I really want to leave you with one one last question. I know because the Canada is quickly becoming one of the top hubs for esports companies to kind of come out of and and really dominate the North American scene. It's you know the largest and most success, success, successful ones like yourselves coming out of the land of, of uh, maple syrup. Why do you think that is, and, and can we expect it to, uh, to continue? Um, I think you can, and I think that um, Canada has an appetite uh, for risky investments. Um, Canada is the birthplace of cannabis as an industry. Canada is the birthplace uh, for psychedelics. Canada, um, again, it, it, it's it's very hard to say three years ago, I want to buy esports teams and create a business around it. Um, there's not a lot of people that would back that play. What's your profitability? How much revenue do you have? Well, I have no profit and I have no revenue, but still give me some money. Uh, It's a tough conversation. And for for whatever reason, Canadian investors who really cut their teeth um, in the mining industry, talk about speculative investments. Give me 200 million bucks because I own a hole 
in the middle of South America. Um, for some reason, God bless Canadians, we, we have that risk appetite. Um, and so we have some real innovative investment bankers in Canada who latched onto esports early. And, you know, humility aside, I think we also have the benefit of enthusiast gaming doing pretty well and, and proving the concept out a bit, which has, you know, a momentum effect. So, um, again, another reason to pr be proud of, uh, of Canada. All right. Well, Adrian, I've, I've, I've threw some hard balls at you. you. You knocked them out of the park. So I, I appreciate you coming on and, and kind of giving us this insider, in-depth business discussion view about esports. And so I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and really uh, kind of helping myself understand the, the, the realm of esports and uh, the esports industry. So thank you so much for coming on and, and helping us do that. Thank you for having me. And also uh, thank you for, for putting a spotlight on this industry and putting a spotlight on companies like ourselves. And, um, you know, we're very grateful for that too. We're all helping build an industry together and, and you're playing a very important role and we appreciate you. A high tide rises all ship is always saying. So if the, the tide rises highest on enthusiast gaming, Hey, that's only going to help me out as well. I assume. <laughs> so enthusiastgaming.com add in at we are enthusiasts on Twitter, follow them for all the latest news on the company and more. So again, Adrian, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks Kevin. He's Adrian Montgomery, CEO of enthusiast gaming. And I'm just a guy, Kevin Correa right here on the esports network podcast. Whoa!